Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Well, I, uh, I'd like to say thank you. Um, yesterday was... Laura and my um, 11th wedding anniversary. 11 years is a long time. Um, It's more than a decade. I mean, you probably know that, but um, it's a long time. And we were but babies when we got married. I mean, we had no clue what the heck we were doing, Um, but we were figuring it out together. Um, And so many areas of life, we didn't know what we were doing, Um, but have had the joy of growing up together. And given the way that like our bodies keep surfacing some issues, maybe we're starting even to grow old a little bit together. Not that old, but like, you know, I, I'm feeling weird here. She's got some back pain there. We're, I guess we're aging in, the, in our 30s. Um, but that is um, that's a big milestone for us. Um, and I want to say thank you because over the, the course of our journey here in church planting, you as a church have, have blessed us immensely. Um, I, I can't count the number of times you've written a note or given a gift or said something, sent us on a getaway. Um, we're just, we are blessed to belong to you. And she's not even here today. She's watching two sick kids out of four at home. Um, we're blessed to belong to you. Um, and I pray you're blessed to belong to us as the body of Christ. Um, so thank you. It made um, at least a part of our holidays really bright. Um, other things did as well, but that was um, a real gift of kindness that you gave to us um, in the turn of the year. And it's been a year. <laughs> um, it's been a couple years. Um, childbearing years, we've had three kids since we started the church. And then church planting, it's, it's been a ride. Um, one that's challenged us at many points. Um, but I can't tell you how well supported um, and blessed we've been by you all. Um, you here and, and others not here. So thank you. Um, as I think about my anniversary each year, um, I do reflect on our marriage. Uh, it's good practice, of course, to do that from time to time. Um, but the sort of the annual mark kind of gets me thinking. And um, I, I think after about a decade or so, and surely you can realize this early on, But I think what I've seen really is our priorities. Um, And not just like our stated priorities, but our functioning ones. Like the ones that we really operate on. Because you can't sort of hide them. You can't pretend or perform them over the span of years. They're just sort of like your default settings are revealed. Um, And so your priorities are there. and And then also a bit of your process. Like how you navigate life, make decisions, deal with challenges, celebrate successes. And I I can tell you, I have no delusions, nor does she now, about that we are very imperfect. (laughs) I mean, I think I I probably went in with a little bit of a, hey, we're better than we, than we actually were. Um, but, but, but our imperfections in everywhere area of life are clearly on display. Um, I did not marry a perfect woman, and if you're a guy, you won't. Um, And the same is true for a gal. If you do end up getting married, if that's the Lord's will for you, you won't marry someone perfect. 
But in the imperfections and in sort of the grace of God afforded to us moment by moment, year by year, I've seen this woman stop and then restart life-giving spiritual rhythms. Because let's be honest, you've maybe stopped and restarted those a time or two. I've seen her learn again to steal away and pray. I've seen her try different ways of abiding in God's word, memorizing it, singing it. I've seen her consistently think of others and care for them, even when her own needs are glaring, like so often. I've seen her um, priorities. And they're really godly, but they're also very imperfect. Um, And I've also seen her process. I've seen the way that she somehow uses and harnesses this powerful energy beyond her to work within her in order to walk with Jesus in a way that she seems to grow deeper and deeper in relationship with him as the years go by. And seemingly she gets better and better at loving others as the years go by, at least loving me. And I'm kind of hard to love. Um, And so I couldn't be happier to be married to her. And I want to honor her today and thank you for honoring us. Um, And now, listen, I don't know how long it was between when this guy Epaphras traveled to hear this crazy speaker named Paul, missionary. And then he heard the gospel and believed the gospel. And then he went back to his hometown and started telling everyone about Jesus. And then as he told people about Jesus, a whole crowd of people started to gather around and a church was formed. And then that church sent him back to Paul to get further training and learning. And now he's with Paul and then sending a letter back to the church. I don't know if that was like a decade or it could have been about that long or what, but I can tell you that in the way that I've seen both priorities and process revealed in my marriage, there's priority and process put on display here in this church. Paul is helping them see what is first things, what's, what's to be their functioning center, their operating value, and then also, what's the process look like to stay in that game and not even just stay plateaued, but to continue to grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. And listen, I, I think we'll see a lot of things as we go through this book, but here's what I desperately want us to see. I want us to see the way in which these two things, both the, the, the priority of Jesus, his supremacy, his glory and grace, and also the process by which we continue to grow in Christ's likeness. I want us to see that at every turn. And I think Paul does too, which is why I would say Paul asks us a very key question in the opener. One that I believe if you're a Christian here this morning or if you don't yet consider yourself a Christian is something you need to ask if ever you're evaluating your priorities or your process. And it's this, what does God want? What does God want? What is the will of God for me in this situation? How do I know what God is thinking and what he's desiring about what I'm going through or the issue that I'm navigating? What does God want? And if we sort of just back up here into that verse, Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus. Interesting. So that's his title. He's an apostle. Nobody else in the letter is an apostle. Even Timothy, our brother, Timothy's with Paul, but Paul has this unique standing of authority that he's writing to the church with. And then um, Timothy, of course, is probably an associate, even the protege of Paul as he's writing, because there's other people there with him, but somehow Timothy gets named. So it's Paul and Timothy doing this ministry together. And who are they writing to? To the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. We've read it once and we've read it again. But there's a phrase that I want you to see. And we're going to spend the rest of our time dwelling on. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, there's something even in the first few words that Paul wants to communicate about his own life purpose. And he wants to wrap up, as we'll see at other points in the letter, the Colossian church, that they need to know what is the will of God for their lives. Just as Paul is operating out of the very will, desire, want of God in his own life and his ministry, crucial to what it means to walk with the Lord and to even grow up in the faith is to go, this is what the Lord wills for me, what he wants with me. And so let's think about that today for a little bit. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to make the case from this letter and then from some of the rest of the New Testament that the will of God, the want of God for you in 2022, and perhaps always, is A, that you would receive the mystery of Christ, and B, that you would run toward maturity in Christ. That you would receive the mystery of Christ, and that you would run toward maturity in Christ. So let's dig into this letter from these first few verses to explore a little bit what is God's will. And then, of course, we got to kind of make that plain how we're going to act right now then. In light of those things, we'll close with a little bit of practical steps for what we can do to, to act upon that. So to receive the mystery of Christ is the first thing that God desires for you. If we go back just one more time, I promise, the Christmas tree is still up in my house. That's because we were sick and it's kind of like a big deal when the kids put it down together, you know. Um, but if you go back to Christmas, which we've sort of spent the last month thinking about the incarnation, that, that God became flesh in and as this person, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and what that should make plain to us is that seriously, there has been so much written throughout history that hinted at and pointed to God was going to come and he was going to fully explain all of ultimate reality in the person of Jesus. This mystery was going to be revealed. So it was hinted at for sure, but it's pretty clear that it was kind of hidden as well. I mean, not a lot of people expected baby in a manger, not a lot of people expected man walking around Galilee and Israel, teaching about God's kingdom and then dying on a cross. There is definitely hints everywhere, but some of it was hidden and then revealed in full. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament. Look at this. This is Ephesians 1. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us what? The mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now listen, that's a whole other sermon to dig into that one right there. But, but listen, this phrase, the mystery of his will, is basically saying, hey, God's purpose, God's plan in human history and in our world, that sort of mystery fully revealed in Jesus. And what's the mystery? Well, that he set forth in Christ. It's that God is gonna unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and on earth. Of course, we know that to mean he's gonna unite man and God through the forgiveness of sins, through redemption that comes by the cross of Christ. There is this incredible mystery that we take for granted that, that for much of history was hidden, yet in Jesus now fully revealed. There's a mystery to Christ that is now made known. But don't just take the Apostle Paul's theology, his writing. Look at this. This is Luke, the writer of Acts. And here is our boy, Paul. We get introduced to him, not for the first time, but as he tells his story in chapter 22. And one, Ananias, not Paul, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well-spoken of the Jews who lived there, came to me, to Paul. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, Saul's his old name, Paul's his new name, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to, to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him, for God, to every one of what you've seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now that, that should be repeated today, right? Why would you wait if you're waiting? You could rise, be baptized. You could call on his names. Your sins could be completely washed away. That was true for Paul then, and it's true for us now. But listen, this phrase, that the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, was so dear to the heart of Paul because he is an apostle, because he's seen the righteous one. He saw Jesus so blinded and blasted onto his back that he got a new name, a new identity, a new calling, and a new conviction that he would live out his life in the mystery of God's will. Okay, but what's this have to do with Colossians? Okay, well, let's see. Here it is. Paul says that he is, let's see, Oh, we cut off the beginning. He, so, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Paul became a minister. Paul got, got charged with this church in Colossae saying, hey, I'm gonna be responsible for you spiritually, even though you're like my grandbaby. Because Epaphras came to me and then he went to you, even though I haven't even seen you, which is true. Paul hadn't even visited them yet, but aches to go in to visit them and see them. It was Paul's own ministry that produced a gospel seed and then a whole fruit of a new church. And what he's saying is, my stewardship from God is to make God's word fully known. And what is it? It's to reveal this mystery of Christ who he is, and what he's come to do. Paul is an apostle by the will of God. 
Now listen, here's what that means for you. It means for you that this mystery of Christ and the revelation that's come about both the manger and the cross and the shed blood and the resurrection, it means that you can do nothing for your salvation. It means literally that, that, that God has worked in human history such that there is absolutely nothing you could do and absolutely nothing you can do in order to be saved but this, but to receive the mystery, to receive the mystery that God somehow in his plan sent his son into the world such that forgiveness could be extended to those who so wronged God and others such that sins could be washed away and new life could take shape. There is absolutely nothing you can do to be saved but to receive the mystery of Christ, that he has come, that he has died, and that he has risen, and that he is the Lord, the Christ. It is all by gift. So listen, what that means for us is that first you must believe the mystery of Christ. You, if you're here today and you don't yet believe in Jesus, I want to encourage you to, to wrestle out what you believe and to hear again the incredible story that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And not just for anyone, but for you. Believe the mystery of Christ. But for those of you here today who believe in Jesus, I want you to know that I've been praying for you as well. I've been praying for you that you would begin to pray for others to receive the mystery of Christ. That you would begin to talk with others about the mystery of Christ. That you would believe that people still and people that you know would come to the point where they would say, why would I wait? Let me rise and be baptized and wash away my sins and believe and call on the name of Jesus because it still does happen today. And in fact, despite what it seems like in our culture, Christianity is the fastest growing belief system in the world with millions of people committing their lives to Christ every year. Why would not your neighbor? Why would not you? Why would not your coworker, when such an incredible mystery has been revealed, believe the mystery and belong to the family? That's the sequence that Paul has in mind here. What's the will of God? For you to believe and receive the mystery of Christ. And then two, for you to run toward maturity in Christ, which is to say, you don't just believe but then you get to belong to the family of God such that you learn the very ways, habits, values, process of God's family. Why? Because you've been made a part of it. Run toward maturity in Christ. There's a passage a little bit further down from the mystery language that says this in Colossians, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Receiving is priority. Walk in him is process. Walk in him is process because when it comes to receiving, you can do nothing. But did you, did you see the action verb here? Right? Once you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, what do you got to do? You have to do something. Like you have to walk. 
It is not passive. It is not inactive. If you want to in any way make your way towards maturity, if you in any way want to follow the process of the family, you got to walk. you got to do something. Early on in the pandemic, I realized that both my stress level and my neighbor's stress level were sort of like climbing and climbing and climbing. He was facing a ton of stuff in his own family life, and I was facing family and church things as well. And, and so what I said is, hey, I know I need to start taking care of my body and working out, but I'm not going to do that alone. I just, I, don't, I know it won't work well alone. And so I said, hey, buddy, what if we get up and we start running? And he's like, well, I don't really run. I was like, well, I haven't a long time either. So let's just do this together. And so my neighbor and I um, started getting up. I mean, dawn. It was when we had to get up. And started running around Minneapolis. And we, we pretty much ran and then walked because that was about all we could do. <laughs> um, but we ran and then walked and talked. And, uh, and then we were like, hey, I noticed he's got a pretty nice bike. And I was like, well, if, if you like bike ride, why don't we do that? And so I got out my like vintage 70s racing bike. This thing is, I don't know why it's still rolling, but, but I, his nice bike and my vintage bike went biking around the city. And then now this year, we're trying to figure out how can we still stay kind of linked up together? And he's also been into boxing for a while. And so I'm like, maybe I should pick up boxing. We can start doing some of that together. Um, but the point is, as we started to walk together, ride bikes together, Lord willing, box together, our lives started to overlap in a way where I knew him and he knew me. And in fact, we started walking together in a new kind of living that ended up reducing our stress and changing the way that we see the world. When it says walk in him, you have to walk in him or with him. And when you walk with him, I promise you will start to know him. If you want to know him, you have to walk with him. And if you want to be like him, you have to start doing the things that he's doing. And if you want to know God's will, why not learn it from the one who fully walked in God's will? Walk in him, family. Let me give you the other side of the coin with this language about will. Here, we're going to do a little survey of the New Testament again. Watch this. This word pops up everywhere. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? This is Jesus. It's what he prayed for. God's will to be done and his kingdom to come. It's not just what he prayed for. He, he said this is what marks God's family. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and mother. How do you know that you're living out the family values? Well, you're committing to live in God's will and walk in his ways. Or how about Romans 12? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Maybe we could just make it plain. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Or as Peter says, in case you don't like Paul, let's just look at Peter. He also wrote in the New Testament, what's God's will? To live the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
And then here in Hebrews, how about the writer of Hebrews? Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may what? Do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Colossians. Paul says, him we proclaim, warning everyone. This is right after he says the mystery of God's will. Teach everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. This is Paul's desire because it's God's desire for Paul and for these churches that they would become mature in Christ. That after they receive the mystery of Christ, they would run towards maturity in Christ. And not only is he content to sort of say, this is my idea, this is what I want. He starts passing it on to others, which is the very act of discipleship. It's, it's the very core of spiritual leadership. He, he wants to give what's so burning from in him. He, he wants to present others mature in Christ, and he wants everyone else to be about the work of presenting others mature in Christ. At least that's what it seems he wants for Timothy and for Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Paul's struggling to present people mature in Christ, and now Epaphras is struggling that you may what? Stand mature and fully assured in all, what is it? The will of God. This is God's want for you. This is God's will for you that you would run toward maturity. In Christ. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Great night, great idea, but how does that land on our 2022? Well, we're going to study for most of the spring how it will land. But today, even from the first few verses, I want to challenge you to act. I want to challenge you to act. A C T. I want you to apply the gospel. Would you apply the good news of Jesus? Would you commit to be faithful? And would you be thankful? I want you to apply the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, applying the gospel means that you would press the good news of Jesus, your in Christness, if you believe in him, into every nook and cranny of your life, because I promise you there is enough of it to spread everywhere. There's enough of it to spread into your singleness or into your marriage, into your work, into your hobbies, into your finances, everywhere. The good news of Jesus can spread. And I could go on and on to different areas of life that it should land on you in your communication, that it might land upon you, of course, into your physical health and the way you treat your body. Like we could go forever on about the gospel meaning something for different areas of life. But if I can go on, the question is, can you? Can you take the gospel and apply it like glue, spreading it into the pieces of your life, such that when you press them together, gospel goo comes out. And then for some reason, those various pieces start to firm up and hold together. Can you 
spread or apply the gospel like stain into all of the grains and pores of the wood of your life, such that the very hue of everything about you starts to turn the color of hope and grace and glory. Can you even take these humble words in the greeting and turn them into the depth that they have in meaning? Like, think about this. In two verses, to the saints... Can you think about yourself as set apart, as a, as a holy one, as a chosen one, as a called and sent out one, as a saint in the various areas of your life? Can you think about yourself as a sibling looking across the aisle to those around you going, that's my brother, that's my sister, this is my family, this is where I belong, my home. Can you think as a child relating to the father? being raised up in the faith like a son or a daughter? Can you think about grace and think about truth, think about peace and apply it to your life? We could go on and on, but perhaps the most constant reminder you'll have this year is this little thing right here. Go ahead, pull it out. I'm sure most of you have it. This is where you set reminders, right? If you go to your home screen, what's there? an app, probably a lot of apps. I mean, I've got like pages and pages of them. And then mine has this sort of thing where you can group them together into little bubbles and then you use like a folder of apps when apps, what is an app, right? I mean, we use the language, but it is by software terms, an application, right? And I don't know, I'm not a developer. We have some in the room. And so they'll probably correct me on this later. But here's what I think I know about an app, that it's a bit of language and code that takes all the resources. And by the way, you know, Apple just reached a worth of $3 trillion. Apple, all right? So they basically, I guess they run the world now. I mean, because they have these things and computer. I mean, literally, but what does an app do? It, it takes the resources and power of the hardware and the operating system, and it puts it to work in a specific fashion, like for your banking app, or for your reminders app, or for your note-taking app, or for your Instagram app. All they're doing, I mean, it's just a bit of language and codes, taking the very power and resources of this thing and pressing it into an area of life that is useful. Like, that's what it means to follow the process of growing up in Christ. There's an app for that, friends. Like every area that you have should be of life, should be running on the gospel operating system such that you're drawing the very powerful resources of it so that it's useful in an area of life. It's what it means to apply the gospel. Just like you use something for book reading or for podcast listening or for note-taking. Could you take the resources of the gospel and funnel them into the very areas of need? Because whatever the issue of life that you face this week or this year, there's a gospel app for that. Act, apply the gospel. And then C, commit to be faithful. 
to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. All right, so they are faithful, which as we read through the letter, we see means they're stable in the faith. They are committed and persevering in the hope of the gospel. They have a sticking power to them. And what it means, of course, is that unless you're faithful, you won't make a lot of progress in the faith. There is a commitment required in order to walk with him, or walk in him, as Colossians 2 says. Now listen, we wash, we wash a lot of dishes at my house. Um, there are days when the dishwasher runs at least two times, maybe three, like lots of dishes. And, but that doesn't cover it. Like there's also pots and pans. We make pretty much all of our food at home. And um, what happens in the wintertime is my hands literally dry and crack to the point that they bleed. Like it is not pretty in our house because I wash a lot of the dishes in water on my hands, dry air and skin. Um, it's a problem. And what I've realized is it doesn't take very long for them to get bad. I mean, literally, it's so bad that I, I have like rubber gloves that I've started to wear when I'm doing dishes at home. Um, but what I've noticed is it takes just kind of a few days or a short amount of time for the skin on my hands to get really bad, cracking everywhere, knuckles bleeding. But what I've noticed is it takes some time for them to get repaired. Like, it's not like I could, I could put on lotion one night and then all of a sudden skin is mended and smooth. It is, it's the faithful application of, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to put that sort of like, you know, hand cream on at night. I'm going to need to wash my hands and grab a little bit more lotion. Because if what's breaking is to be mended and stay whole, I need to commit to be faithful in applying. And the same is true in the faith, church. There is a need to be faithful. Repeated actions matter the most to formation. It's not the big events. It's not these super momentous decisions. It's the daily that matters for your life and your relationship with the Lord. Listen to what Paul David Tripp, who's written many books, but writes in New Morning Mercies. He says, the fact of the matter is that transforming work of grace is more of a mundane process than a series of a few dramatic events. Like our lives don't lurch from big moment to big moment. Right? We live in the utterly mundane. And yes, you see the character of life then and the character of a person is not set in one or two dramatic events, but in the 10,000 little moments that happen day by day by day. It's in the application of lotion day by day that my hands can weather the harsh weather. And it's the same for you. It's in the application of grace. It's in the faithful presence in community. It's in the faithful worship with God's people. It's in the faithful reading of the scriptures and prayer. It's in the knowing of one another and being known in community where day by day we're being formed for glory. So commit to be faithful. 
apply the gospel, commit to be faithful, and then T, thank the Lord, be grateful. He says, the next verse, I'm sealing, verse 3, we always, always thank God. We always, always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He says in chapter 3, and the let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts for as you were called in one body and be thankful. He says in the close of his letter, urging them to pray again, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. This guy, likely writing from prison, right? He's writing from prison. He's the guy who's been betrayed, robbed, shipwrecked, abandoned. <laughs> He's been freezing. He's been hungry. And now in prison, he's saying, be thankful. I, I receive that. <laughs> I know I need that because of my own tendency to complain and to grumble. This is God's will for you in 2022 and beyond, that you would receive the mystery of Christ, and you would run toward maturity in Christ, and you would act, applying the gospel, committing to be faithful, and thanking God always. If we do that, I promise you we will grow together in the Lord. And with those general steps of action, as we continue in prayer, I promise you the very specific steps of action, the discerning of God's will for us, is going to come clearly so that we know not just the process, but the very specific path that God wants for us and for our humble church. So let's commit our way to him. All right? And pray with me. Jesus, we ask you to open our eyes to see evidences of your grace and your peace everywhere around us. We want to be thankful. We also want to be faithful. We need, as Paul writes, to struggle well to be faithful, but not on our own strength, but with your energy that so powerfully works within us. And we, we need to apply the gospel. Would you give us hearts that are open, and eyes to see where there's an app for that. Where grace and where peace needs to be pressed in to the very parts of our lives that need it most. Such that we could walk with you and walk in you. Grant us grace for that, Lord. And we ask that as we study this letter over the course of the spring. That you would help us to see clearly the priorities of the gospel and the process of the gospel that helps us grow mature in Christ. For the sake of your great and beautiful name we pray. Amen.